This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing, where we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators that are driving transformation across their industries. This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing. In this podcast, we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators who are driving transformation across their industries. I'm Patrice Sakora, and with me to kick off the second season of Faster Forward is Justin Chapman, Executive Vice President and Global Head of Digital Assets and Financial Markets at Northern Trust. Now, throughout the season, we'll be discussing the world of digital assets. And today, Justin is going to give us a glimpse into the current landscape for digital assets, examine key trends in the space, and then explain how he is helping his organization move faster forward through digital innovation. So Justin, first of all, thank you so much for being here. And before we really get into this discussion, tell us about yourself and how you got to your current role at Northern Trust. Hi, Patrice. And uh, yeah, thanks. Um, it's been quite a long journey, actually. Um, I probably had half my career at Northern Trust and uh, half my career across quite an eclectic mix of different roles and responsibilities. But predominantly, uh, I'm a dad of three. Um, they're all three adults. Um, and we love adventure and exploring. I think that carries through into my interest of innovation within my workspace as well. So my background, on, I'm ex-trading. Um, I've worked for brokers. I've worked for software houses. I've worked for consultancies. Uh, and I joined Northern Trust about 18 years ago to run change management. And I run a few global operational functions and moved into our, our regulatory advocacy group. And over the last four to five years, maybe probably about seven, I've really looked at innovation for the organisation and really what's going to change in the market to support our clients in the future. So that's actually really plays to, to what interests me and I think what really interests our clients, which is where are we going to be in the next three, five, ten years' time? Well, in fact, Northern Trust has been working with digital assets since about 2015, correct? Yeah, I, I did my first board presentation at the end of 2014, <laughs> 2015, and it was blockchain versus Bitcoin. So, wow. <laughs> So yeah, which one? Which one should we look at? And that, that was a while back. And uh, interesting, I presented to the board at the first quarter of last year, and I still managed to use the same two of the same slides I used back in two fifteen. So about fifty percent of the board that was still there from from seven years ago recognised the slides. So I must have done something to stay in their memory. You must have, because Northern Trust launched the Digital Assets and Financial Markets Group last year. So how did the need for this group come about, and what is it that you really aim to accomplish? Yeah, so it's, it's really incubated from a few different parts of the organisation. So back in that 2014, 2015 timeframe, I used to run a group called uh, Market Advocacy Innovation and Research, which is really looking at global regulatory trends and technologies that will affect where our business is going and how regulation is deployed in those new technology and business environments. So that was really sort of the incubation for the digital asset part of digital assets and financial markets. So we really looked at the innovation strategy for the organization and our asset servicing business back then. Um, the rest of the digital assets and financial markets were trying to bring together other parts of our organization that face off against markets. So we've added our FIG group, our financial intermediaries group, they're responsible for our largest 50 interbank relationships. So that has the strategic relationships with other financial services firms and banks. And so we work from a C-suite, from a, a strategic balance of trade, but also a product capability to partner with those firms to try and move the agenda forward collectively for our clients. So that FIG group really looks at making sure those relationships are sound through the whole of the corporation and that we're moving in step with some of the key partners that we need for the industry. We also looked at our network management function and Northern Trust Services clients now over 100 global markets. 
So we look at accessing 100 global markets for our clients. And the network function not only looks after the governance and the appointment of providers in those markets, whether they're exchanges, central banks, uh, other banks to support our clients. It also looks at the governance and the trajectory where those markets are going. So bringing that together with the future vision around innovation and how technology is changing those marketplaces, it seemed a very logical approach to say, markets of the future are gonna be made up of a few things. They're gonna be made up of partners, they're gonna be made up of different regulations, different technology platforms, which allow us to service our clients and assets in different ways. So bringing all those together gives us a great opportunity to look at a 2030 vision for our business and lay down a strategy, but also then influence at market level and with our key partners to create the best products and services for our clients going forward. Now you mentioned collaboration, you mentioned partners. You have collaborated with Bond eValue, is that correct? To complete Yeah, that's one of our collaborations. Yeah. And that's your blockchain right there, a blockchain yeah. bond trade. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, actually, if you look at the technology involved around digital assets, most of it is going to be collaborative. So a digital asset is an asset that sits on a digital ecosystem whether that's a public or private network. We're very fond of private permission networks rather than public ecosystems. But for this all to work, we all need to share data. You need to be working with other counterparts and other firms. So partnership is absolutely key when you're looking at digital assets. You need issuers, you need other participants to be active in the environment that you've got to allow for investors and issuers to both issue securities and then trade securities in the environments you're connecting to. So something like Bondi Value was one of the early um, approved exchanges within Singapore. So we actually partnered with them to offer some of the traditional capabilities. We looked at in markets, e.g. our custody capability, along with our digital capabilities to allow them to capture traditional bonds and then fractionalize those bonds for then onward distribution to people that couldn't have access to those particular asset classes in a digital way. So taking a large denomination, $100,000 bond, and splitting it down to smaller pieces and allowing those smaller pieces to be purchased by people that wouldn't normally have access to, to that form of uh, asset class. So that's a great example of, of, of deployment of digital assets and differentiation between a digital asset and what the traditional asset would have given the people in terms of investment opportunity. And we can tie the blockchain idea into that? Yeah, well, yeah, the blockchain's key because the blockchain creates a digital register or a mutable record, particularly where I'm anchoring a traditional asset and tokenizing it. I need to make sure that that isn't then re being used multiple times or we're creating multiple versions of the truth. The blockchain itself creates one record that is mutable and visible and transparent to everybody in the value chain. So it's really important that we're making sure there's good governance and provenance of that particular asset. So I don't want to be spending the same asset twice or trading the same asset twice. So, so hooking it into technology that only allows one truth is really, really important uh, when you're looking at um, technologies for the future and digitization of assets. All right. Now, look, blockchain, I love. I, I understand it. I, I embrace it. Crypto. Crypto, on the other hand, I'm not so sure. But you're working with Zodia Custody? Yeah, I mean, we, we looked at crypto, and to be fair, we weren't 100% sure about it either. And that's not from an investment perspective. Um, that's purely from where crypto came from. So crypto was very much born out of the uh, um, ability for people to transact with each other with anonymity um, originally. That was one of the early hypotheses around crypto activities. And it had a pretty bad reputation in the early days. But it did become quite interesting for our clients and the wider market because it became a interesting financial investment and the returns were significantly high on that particular asset. So our investors look for a few things in assets. One's a return on investment. Um, the other one, one's liquidity. 
And the other one is generally provenance and governance. So that certainly um, uh, had some liquidity in the marketplace, but it had ROI. We were talking significant return on investment. So as as the sort of the product matured a little bit and um, the services became available, um, circa around 2018, 2019, we looked at whether Northern Trust should be in cryptocurrencies and crypto custody. And our decision was pretty easy. Um, no, was the answer, but the decision was made up by a few things. One of them is not a regulated environment and there was not any sufficient counterparty or infrastructure that we would work with in a traditional environment available within that crypto environment. So we made an actual decision that we, as a firm, would not directly service or custody those particular assets. Um, our clients were still interested in us understanding that market space, and some of our clients wanted to invest in that market space. So we certainly took a um, took a decision to get closer to it. So I was working with a, a guy called Alex Manson, who runs SE Ventures, which is Standard Chart Ventures, and we were looking at opportunities. And we, we constructed a joint venture with Stan Charter to invest in a company called Zodia Custody, which basically built a custodian in the unregulated environment that was akin to an institutional custodian. It had all the same attributes as either of our banks would have done, um, but we could service in an unregulated environment clients within that space. But we just invested in it. We didn't operate it. We weren't running that service. Now, I sit on the board of that firm. It gives us good insight in terms of that development, how that market's going. And as we as we roll time forward, obviously, with things like the FTX issues and some of the regulatory issues that we've seen over, uh, over the last year, um, it, it was probably a good place for us not to be in. But actually, out of the back of some of those issues, things like Zodia and um, where the regulations are going, I, I think it does show that the regulatory environment is going to try and pull that back into a more of a traditional structure. So with crypto is not really of much interest to our clients at the moment. Everything's gone pretty quiet. But again, if, if, if the US regulators and, and global regulators decide that it has to be regulated and held within banks and structures, and our clients look to invest in the future, it may be something that we watch for in the future, but not initially now. Um, one really good thing about cryptocurrencies, it really did set the path for understanding how the technology works and the digital asset landscape works. It was the use case for liquidity. It was the use case for technology. So um, it has been really, really a big advantage to us as far as being involved in the crypto conversation and really analysing how those crypto markets are put together. Because when you really look at the attributes of digital assets, we are taking the best bits of the crypto market and then applying the best bits of the traditional market and bringing them together to add value. You did mention regulatory issues there, and mm. I'm sure there have been issues, implications in different parts of the world as these markets and products have evolved. What has that meant for your clients? Where have you had to pivot? What have you seen and said, okay, we're not doing this or we're going to do this differently? Yeah, I mean, we touched on crypto. Then we were not going to be doing crypto because our Federal Federal Reserve said that a custodial bank should not be custody in crypto. Pretty black and white. So we're, we're in pretty good shape on that side of things. Um, but, but there wasn't probably, even in, in, in 2018 to 2020, many regulations around digital assets. But as um, the regulators are focused on crypto, there has been a bit of what we call crypto digital asset contagion. So the regulations that we're trying to put in place for the crypto market is being transferred over to the wider digital asset market space. Now, some of that we think is very important and valuable, particularly if you're looking at public networks. But if you look at digital assets in private networks, they are akin to digital uh, traditional assets in private networks. We think similar regulation should apply. But there is some spillage in terms of the over-regulations. We're having to go through a lot of regulatory conversations when we're looking at things like traditional bonds, um, uh, equities, private placements, other things which sit in normal regulatory environments. 
because they happen to be on a blockchain or a distributed ledger technology. So we're starting to see a little bit of a pause and conversation with the regulator to make sure everybody's comfortable with the deployment of the technology into traditional asset classes, where a lot of the challenges were being because of the market structures, not the technology on the crypto asset classes, if that makes sense. Do you see non-fungible tokens having a role here anywhere? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about cyberpunks and things like that, in terms of that <laughs> particular investor base or client base. Um, I, I certainly think an NFT structure in terms of the architecture and technology could apply to a piece of art for our wealth client, for example. Um, so I think there will be fringe cases, um, but they all will be fringe okay. cases. Um, I, th- I think the, the way an NFT token is constructed is quite interesting for certain other asset classes. If you're thinking about things like property, things which are materially beneficial and can be passed on in value, but you need to keep it rooted in the original asset. So I think the, the technology itself, but uh, the, 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 the previous trend around NFT, less so for the institutional investor. We are, we are seeing fringe cases, definitely. The other one is, uh, for example, is IP, intellectual property being attached to NFTs. Uh, and intellectual property itself is uh, an ability to raise capital. It's also ability for has value in its own right for trading purposes. So that's quite an interesting fringe case. And some of our clients have shown an interest in IP within fund structures. Well, obviously, digital is transforming traditional servicing. Uh, where do you see the business going in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, so that, that's actually my job. So I'm, I'm my job is to put out the 2030 vision for, for our asset servicing business. So we've really looked across all of our business segments in asset servicing, and we've taken a view where digital assets will be. And our working hypothesis at the moment, based upon current trajectory, the projects we see in the market, the things we're investing in, what we hear of our clients, is by 2030, between 5 and 10% of our asset base will be issued in digital native form. Now, that may not sound like a huge amount, but our clients expect us to service 100% of their asset base. So as a firm, we want to make sure that we're getting ready and prepared. We're working in the right regulatory environments. We have the right technology to deploy to serve that 100%. So I can't turn around to my client and say, I can't service 10% of your assets, but keep the rest with me. So we're making sure that we're prepared. So we definitely think this is a shifting, shifting landscape. There's a lot to learn still. But those fringe cases are becoming less across... Um, esoteric asset classes and are moving much more into traditional asset classes which will if we, if we get some of the larger players involved we'll certainly see the volume pick up if the volume picks up the liquidity will pick up if liquidity picks up the investors will come do you see that happening yeah i'm i'm, well, I'm standing behind the five to ten percent so in 2030 if you want to come back to me we'll have another interview <laughs> and we'll see where we are uh, between that five and ten um but uh, that is our working hypothesis and that's the end northern trust number the market number is quite a lot larger, um, but we 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 try to be focused, realistic about this. Um, if we see this change over the next few years, we have a lot of decision gates and flows and processes we put in place to keep checking the industry, and we can accelerate quicker if there's going to be more. Um, but we think we need to keep that pace, um, given the current trajectory of the regulation, the market, and the interest that's been shown by the issuer community as well as the investor community in this particular asset class. So, Justin, we've been talking about investors, but talk to me now about issuers. Yeah, this is the thing that will make digital assets fly. Um, this is sort of the secret for sorts of, uh, of digital assets. Um, the, the issuer community is really looking to develop products and solutions and capabilities that demonstrate their governance and their, their corporate structure through the issuance process. 
Um, and there's a number of different case studies of this. We, we back in 2019, invested with the World Bank in something called Bondi, which was uh, one of the uh, first distributed ledger bonds that were issued by the World Bank. And it was linked to a relief fund. What's really interesting about this is the issuance information of the actual asset and the bond is linked to evidence of outcomes. So for the first time, if I'm raising debt for a relief fund or I've got a green bond that is linked to an initiative or a project, I can demonstrate to my investors the money that they're, they're, they're put into the bond to raise the outcome, that the outcomes are being achieved by the, the debt raise. Now, what that does is demonstrates the quality of the asset that they're buying into. That could also happen on corporate governance. It could happen on ESG ratings or everything else around a corporate. So what the advantage on the digital asset is here is it allows for attributes and data to be appended to the asset itself from the issuer to evidence the things that they need to evidence to the end investor. And the end investor off the back of that can gain insights into the assets that they're buying that they would never be able to do before or could only get anecdotally by reading articles, news sites or research information. So the value of that really helps both the issuer and the investor. And on the issuer side, again, if they're a stronger proposition, they provide more transparency, they evidence that they're doing what they say they're going to do, the ability for them to raise more debt, get more attraction, get more uh, activity in terms of voting, et cetera, is only going to improve. So the issuer story is really good with digital assets, and it adds a different layer to the dynamic of asset classes that we currently have. So this is a really strong attribute for digital assets. And I think the investors will buy into that as well, which will be very attractive, particularly in certain asset classes. And what about regulators? I mean, this opens up all kinds of information to them. Yeah, I mean, we'll go back to our first initiative. Now, I'm going back to 2017 again, so I'm jumping all over the calendar here. Um, but we produced something called uh, uh, Private Equity Portfolio Management, um, which was PMH, um, which we subsequently sold and licensed to Broadbridge Financial Solutions. That was a, a private equity blockchain, which created an ecosystem around private equity. We worked with the uh, Guernsey regulator and gave them a node so they could break glass in case of emergencies and get data from the actual application. Um, which was great, but it also linked to auditors. We had a couple of patents linked to the auditors so they could audit legal agreements in real time against transactions um, using robo-advisors on blockchain. So you start to think of, I don't have to, I don't have to report my regulation anymore. They can go and get it. It, right. it, it creates a great environment and potentially um, a much more safe and secure environment to operate in. Exactly. I was thinking secure, but it's also thinking trust. People will yeah. trust. Which is great. I think the immutability, the trust of a digital asset and network is so important. Um, it's so important for a company like Northern Trust as well to make sure that we can add that level of additional resilience and support for our clients when they're investing. So the, the promise of this is, is really high. Um, and, and actually, I think that deployment from the issuers with the investors is probably the most important thing. The piece in the middle that we live in is efficiency. We live in uh, technology deployment. We live in aggregation. But actually, the, the real value is at either end of the spectrum rather than in the middle. Great discussion, Justin. Is there something we haven't touched on or a final thought you have for investors? Uh, yeah, I think final thought for clients and investors on our side of things is, is there is a, such a difficult um, landscape to navigate here. There's a lot of terminology. Actually, ignore the terminology. This is just a bit of technology that's changing the way we get data from A to B, um, adding trust, as you identified earlier on in the interview. Um, but 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 I think the challenge is that the, this technology has been implemented in different ways in different environments and different regulatory uh, regimes. So it's making sure that you're you're dealing with firms or connecting with companies like Northern Trust who actually are taking the time to understand this, 
develop solutions and actually put real use cases out there. So I think I think that it's very difficult to to get on top of all of this, but you just need to be talking to people that really understand what this environment is and and, and take it from there. Well, Justin, thank you so much for kicking off season two of this podcast and providing us with that great overview of key trends on the current landscape for digital markets. And thank you for listening to Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Subscribe to Faster Forward from your favorite podcast app to be automatically notified of new episodes. This audio podcast is being provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to be taken as investment advice or a recommendation of any specific investment product or strategy. The information does not take your financial situation, investment objective, or risk tolerance into consideration. Listeners, including professionals, should under no circumstances rely upon this information as a substitute for their own research or for obtaining specific legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice from their own counsel. Northern Trust Corporation, Head Office 50 South LaSalle Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60603. USA Incorporated with limited liability in the U.S. 